worship this evening, and our first hymn is going to be Let Every Heart Rejoice and Sing. Would you all stand, please, as we sing this hymn? Let every heart rejoice. seated, please. Our next hymn is Step by Step. Oh God,
to our Father in prayer, we will sing Faith of Our Fathers. Most gracious and all-wise Father, we come before you this evening in, in awe. We come before you in gratefulness and just wanting to, uh, to give our total praise unto you for all that you do for us each and every day. We give you so much thanks, dear Lord, for loving us to sending your son Jesus to die upon this cross of Calvary, that uh, we have that hope of eternal life one day. Father, we we pray that you'll help us as we go about our, our daily task. Help us, the Father, no matter what we do, that, that you will be the center of, of that work, that you will help us, dear Father, as, to navigate uh, each hour of the day. Um, and when, when uh, obstacles come in, in our path, that we just um, take a moment and go to you and to, to look for guidance, dear Lord. 
you've given us so, so many abilities, so many talents, but be it, we are nothing without you. Father, we thank you for this congregation that assembles here in this community. We pray to Father that you'll um, continue to help uh, to navigate, uh, help us to navigate as we come um, out of this, uh, this season that we've been experiencing the last couple of years. We pray to Father that we know there have just been so many that have been afflicted, affected with this virus in so many different ways. Um, and we just, there's, we just pray that the, this is uh, coming to a close. Father, we pray for our country. We pray for leaders that will we pray, make decisions that first they would look to you for guidance and strength in, in all decisions. Lord, we pray for our world at this time. We pray for the, the folks in um, Ukraine that are being uh, uh, attacked. So many people have lost their lives, have completely disrupted and had to, many have, have fled the country. We also pray for the, the many innocent victims of, of Russia that have been uh, had come into this, was drawn into this. Lord, there's so many people that uh, they don't want to see what's happening. They don't want this war. Um, but Lord, we just pray that uh, wiser heads will prevail. And we pray for people for around this country, uh, not just in this country, but leaders throughout the world that make decisions that will help to bring uh, peace within this region. But again, we just pray for all those, whether, whatever, wherever they're from in these two nations, that uh, pray for them. We pray that uh, as, they, as they go through all this, the suffering. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with us as we uh, continue to focus upon you within this next hour. Help us to place our thoughts upon um, the lesson that's going to be presented the, this evening. Help us just to focus upon your word and the love that you have by giving Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Before the scripture reading and Tim Haywood brings us the lesson, we will sing the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord.
Tonight's scripture reading comes to us from 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Again, that's 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Good evening. We have a good number on a Sunday night. We appreciate all of y'all being here and those of you who are also tuned in online, um, appreciate you all being here and being with us. Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We are given quite a word picture here. We have two, two separate entities, right? The first one is the, the, the wicked, constantly looking over their shoulder, running from every shadow, running from every ghost that, that may be chasing them. You have the wicked who, even the most subtle hint that there is a threat, it has the, the wicked person backpedaling and, and defensive, when oftentimes there's no need to be defensive. The wicked are afraid. They're not afraid of any real ghost, but they are afraid of the ghost of their guilt, the ghost of their wickedness being found out. And that's haunting them, and they flee when no one pursues. Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever been guilty of being someone like that? The person that gets so defensive because they're afraid of something that may have been found out. Well, why would you ask me that question? Why do you need to know where I've been? Why do you need to know who I've been with? Why do you need to see my uh, phone or my receipts? Why do you want me to go take a drug test? Why would you ask me to do that? Then you have the lion. Nothing to hide. Not fearing anything. Because righteousness is on their side. It's a powerful juxtaposition. And sometimes I wish that there was a third option, somewhere there in the middle where I could just kind of ride the fence. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be a wicked person. I, I'm not the guy that's going to commit murder, and I'm not the guy that's going to cheat on my wife or abuse my children. But sometimes I'm just not up to the challenge of being a lion either. Lions are amazing creatures. Lions are commonly referred to as the king of the jungle, which I find kind of humorous because they don't even live in the jungle. So maybe that's kind of noteworthy that they can uh, be the king without even living there. I guess that's like uh, if you were to be elected the mayor of Dallas, Texas, without ever signing up on the ballot or even visiting Dallas, they just said, hey, you're a bad dude. You're going to be the mayor of Dallas. But lions uh, are, are fierce. They're intimidating. And you don't get to be the king of a place you don't live without 
being fierce and intimidating. In fact, I would suggest that lions are most are the most widely regarded uh, intimidating uh, animal on the planet as the most intimidating planet animal on the planet. Um, you could argue that the hippo is deadlier. You might say that you had an encounter with a bear that was much scarier or that a wolf is more bloodthirsty, but from an intimidation factor alone, the lion reigns supreme. Uh, the lion, in fact, the only known predator of a lion is a human, and the lions aren't even afraid of humans. They're not afraid of anything. Lions are bold creatures. Lions routinely take on animals that are much larger than they are. A lion will fight an elephant. A lion will take on the much larger and taller giraffe. A lion will attack prey that no other uh, predator dares to mess with, like an alligator. The lion is truly a bold and fearless animal. The wicked flee when no one chases them, but lions aren't afraid of anything. You bring on the biggest, toughest, meanest threat to a lion, the biggest giant you can think of, Lions aren't afraid of giants. Righteous people are lions. When we are filled with the righteousness of God, when we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we can be lions. Alan just read for us from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 said, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has instilled within the lion a boldness and power to take on all the giants that nature can throw at them. And God has instilled within his righteous people, his lions, a boldness and power to take on the giants that life throws at us. In 1 Samuel 17, we encounter perhaps the most famous story of all time featuring a giant when David goes to check on his brothers and the Israelite army. And starting here in verse, in, in verse 1, in 1 Samuel 17, it says, The Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And skipping ahead to verse 2, it says, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. There's no lions right now in this valley. There's no lions. On one side, you have the wicked Philistines who are hiding behind their giant, um, but they're not bold enough to attack on their own. The wicked Philistines, who we would see later flee after their giant was slain. But on the other side, you don't have the wicked Israelites, but you don't have lions either. You have Saul and the army of Israel. Saul was a giant in his own right. Uh, 1 Samuel 9 verse 2 tells us that Saul was taller from the shoulders up than anyone in Israel. If anyone should have been in a lion, if anyone physically uh, had the stature of a lion that day, it was Saul. But there wasn't any lions out there. And we get to verse 4, it says, There came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. 
and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, uh, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They weren't lions. They were afraid. Israel wasn't wicked enough to flee, but they weren't righteous enough to attack either. And they were cowards. This is the place that I find myself in all too often. I don't think I'm a bad person, but is it really my job to fight Goliath? I mean, don't we have Saul? Don't we have Samuel? Don't we have this God? Can't someone else fight Goliath? Why does it have to be me? There's, a, there's, a hundred, there's hundreds of other troops here. Why can't one of them fight Goliath? Why does it have to be me? Isn't there someone more qualified to fight the giant? Isn't there someone else that can make this stand? I'm not going to endorse this sin, but I'm also not going to go run right into the arms of the giant either. Can't someone else fight this fight? Isn't it interesting that Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, doesn't give us the third option of cowardice. There's righteously bold, and there's woefully wicked, and we all know the reason there isn't a third choice, right? Because we're either lions or we're wicked. There's no other option. Cowardice is, is wickedness. We all know how the story ends in 2 Samuel 17. David was the lion that Israel needed. The smallest uh, in stature of anyone uh, on the Israel side that day was able to conquer the giant Goliath. David was not afraid. He was a lion who was not afraid. And his boldness, I think, shows us two things in this story. One, when giants are present, lions are in short supply. The Israelites were God's people, God's army, the righteous Israelites led by Saul, this, this champion, but not one lion among all the brave warriors were present. When there's no giants to face, everyone's a lion, right? Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can take him. Uh, uh, they, don't, they don't want me. They're, I'm not afraid. I'll do whatever. How many times have you heard someone uh, say things like that? How many times have you said things like that? I'm not afraid only to cower in the face of the giant that presents himself to you, that giant that life throws at you. Saul, he was a giant. Israel, God's fearless warriors, not a lion among them until David arrived. And when giants are present, lions are in short supply. But the other thing David teaches us is that it only takes one righteous lion to wake up and embolden a bunch of other sleeping lions. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. 
Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. David was a lion, and his boldness awakened the sleeping lions that were, that were sleeping there in Israel, that were ready to fight. They just had to be woken up. They just had to see someone else's boldness and be encouraged to go chase. The Philistine army was still pretty intimidating, even with Goliath down. But they saw what David could do through God. And it awakened their righteousness and emboldened them, and they chased. In Numbers 13, Moses sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan, the land that God has promised to his chosen people. In verse 27... Numbers 13, he's getting the report, and they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. These spies are saying, Moses, the land looks great. It's beautiful. It's everything that we could ever ask for. But this property is just not for sale. And the current residents are giants. Moses, um, I know God said that we could take this land, but I think we need to go look somewhere else. No lions. No lions. Even after God has promised this victory, there are no lions. Only cowards afraid of what might happen. But then in verse 30, we do hear the bold roar of a righteous lion. In verse 30, it says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's a lion. Man, what a great character study on Caleb. Because he's a lion his whole life. And he says, if God says we can do it, then we are well able. God's not going to give us something that we cannot accomplish. Let's go up at once. Let's not waste more time talking about it. Let's go grab our promise. I want to be like Caleb. I wish I could be more like Caleb. Fearlessly standing up for God uh, with all that righteous boldness that God expects from us. Too many times I find myself like the ten other spies. You know, if it's not if it's not broken, let's not try to fix it. Right? Well, let's let's leave well enough alone. That may be a little difficult for us to attempt. Let's stay in our lane and do what's comfortable for us. You know, I can give you a hundred reasons why we don't need to mess with that situation. But as long as God gives us one, that's the only reason we need to do anything. We encounter giants daily, just like the Israelites did when they came upon the promised land. And I just wonder how many times we get so close, we get so close to being able to see everything that God has promised. So close to where we can smell the promises of of grace and peace and hope and opportunities of living a life walking close to him, but Satan 
sends a giant to scare us away from victory. Caleb wasn't going to let that happen to him. Caleb wasn't going to get that close to the promised land after wandering for so long to not go in. Victory was sitting in front of him and God promised him that he would win and no giant was going to keep Caleb away from his promise. Most of the spies couldn't be lions. They were cowards. They didn't get to taste the victory, uh, not because they weren't strong enough for the victory, because, but because they weren't bold enough. And Solomon said, would say they weren't righteous. God's promises are for the righteous. They're for the bold. In Exodus chapter 14, Pharaoh and his army have chased the Israelites to the banks of the Red Sea, and they were afraid. In verse 11 of Exodus 14, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. I love verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God says, trust me, just trust me. I know this way is scary, and you can't make it on your own. But God says, I will fight for you. I'm doing the fighting for you. Just trust me. And that promise is just as true today. He will fight for us. He promises us so many things because he knows that we're weak and we can't do it on our own. But he's strong enough. He promises us rest. Matthew 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those of you who are about to fall beneath this burden of life, that this giant who has been abusing you for so long, and you're tired of fighting, fighting that giant, come to me because I have the rest that you need. He promises peace. John 16, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Yeah, that giant, that giant called the world, it's an evil one. That world is unfair and it's unrelenting and it will turn your life into chaos. And Jesus says, take heart and have peace Because I'm bigger than the world. And when you feel like you have nothing left to give and there's no more fight left in you, he promises extra strength when we need it the most. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to to him who has no might, he increases strength. When you feel like you have nothing left, when you feel like You have no more fight left in you. He gives you exactly what you need to conquer your giant. Because you can't truly defeat a giant on your own. David couldn't have defeated Goliath on his own. 
Joshua and Caleb couldn't conquer Canaan on their own. Moses couldn't get away from Pharaoh on his own. And we cannot defeat any of the giants in our life on our own. We're like David. We're too small. We're too weak to face the giant. Or maybe we're like Caleb. We're too unpopular with our belief to fight that giant. Or Moses and the children of Israel were woefully outnumbered by the giants in our life. There's no way we can slay every single one of them. And when we get into that position, that is when we truly have the opportunity to become a lion. Paul was weak. Paul was weak. He had a terrible past. He endured hardships and abuse. And on top of that, he had a physical impairment that slowed him down and could have hindered him as he fought giants. 2 Corinthians 12, 18, he says, or 12, 8, excuse me, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We become lions when we realize that it isn't our strength that will defeat a giant, but it's God's strength. That's when we become a lion, to realize I can't do it on my own. But God has already defeated all of the largest giants in the world, and he can defeat this one too. That God fights for us when we realize it's our job is to remain righteous and have the boldness that God is going to fulfill all of the promises that he's given to us because he loves us. Vince Lombardi said, famous football coach, he said, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. That is the heart of the lion. Unafraid of the giant, emboldened, even though the giant will probably knock us down, even though that mean old giant is going to get some licks in, even though this mean old giant of a world that we live in, we're going to carry some scars, but we're going to win. You will win. You will absolutely win. And I hope that's encouraging to you because it's so encouraging to me. If your giant is winning right now, take comfort in knowing that you will win. You will absolutely win. That giant health concern is battling harder and harder and fighting you harder every day and getting its licks in and it may cause pain and it may cause tears and it may take a life and you will absolutely win if you're righteous. That giant financial burden is only getting worse. Creditors are calling. It's becoming more stressful every day. And that mean old giant may force you to sell some things or go without. And you will absolutely win if you're righteous. That giant family issue is starting to boil over. And there may be arguments and there may be harsh words. And if you're righteous, you will absolutely win. Just don't stop fighting the giant. Carrie Underwood released a song in 2005 
called Jesus Take the Wheel. In the first verse of the song, a young mother is driving to see her family, and she hits some ice on the highway. She starts to lose control, and she says, Jesus, take the wheel. And that's the kind of lion that I find myself being all too often. Uh, I can be scary. I can be intimidating. I can be bold until I'm confronted with a giant that I don't know how to deal with. And the car starts spinning, and my life starts spinning out of control. And that's when I throw my hands up and say, Jesus, take the wheel. But if we're a faithful child of God, lions don't have to do that. Because God was already behind the wheel to begin with. If you're a faithful child of God, washed in the blood of Christ, God is behind the wheel, and you don't have to worry about giants or anything. Not to say that life is suddenly going to be easy for you because it's not. But if you're a righteous person, we have more to be concerned about than this world. We know that God's going to take care of us and this life is just a breath and we have something so much greater promised for us. We can be bold because there's nothing this giant of a world can throw at us that we can't overcome and have something greater when this world is over. You've been given the boldness to achieve victory in any situation and it'll be tough and you'll wear scars but you will win you will absolutely win and if you aren't a christian you should become one today let jesus actually take the wheel in faith repentance confessing that jesus is god's son being baptized becoming that new creature a christian and allow and and, and becoming that righteous lion So that you're equipped to take on all of these things. And if you're a Christian and you lack righteousness sometimes, like we probably all do. And a lack of righteousness maybe now has left you cowardly in the face of some real giants that you're fighting. Or maybe you're holding to your righteousness, but those giants are just battling so hard right now. And it's gotten you down and you need your family and your brothers and sisters to lift you up in prayer. That's what we're here for. Whatever we can do, please let us pray with you, pray for you. As together we stand and sing. Our God,
Be seated, please. The opportunity is available for you to partake the Lord's Supper now if you are unable to share it with us this morning. Uh, Before it is observed, we will sing O Sacred Head. Pray for the bread. Heavenly Father, we come before you at this time, praising you, honoring you, thanking you for letting us gather around your table, Lord. We know we're not worthy. We know we fail. We know we're sinners, but we thank you for that lion, but that perfect lamb that you sent to die for us in our transgressions, that we can have a home with you in eternity. Lord, we thank you for the bread represents Christ's body. We thank you that Christ came to this earth. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the cup. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you again. Again, thanking you so much for Jesus. Thanking you for the grace that you extend to us through the blood that was shed on the cross, Lord. We uh, thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for the miracle of that perfect life, Lord, and that he could make it through the pain of the cross, the shame of the cross, and still be perfect. Lord, we just thank you for that example. We thank you that you've given us opportunity to come in contact with that blood. Pray we all examine ourselves as we partake. In Christ's name, amen. opportunity let's give thanks for the offering father thank you so much for the blessings of life that you give us we know that you bless us abundant with abundance spiritually lord but also with our physical blessings lord and we know we can never give back what you have given but lord we pray that you give us a spirit of giving and that we uh give as we prosper lord we pray that any funds that are given are used to further your kingdom and use in the proper way with the most wisdom it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We will sing Marching to Zion, and after Marching to Zion, Dennis Russell will have an announcement, and then we will be dismissed in prayer. Oh, we-